Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Arjun Bhatnagar, CEO and founder of Cloak, a consumer data privacy company that's raised over $25 million in funding. Thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, excited, Brett, to be on the call. Yeah, so before we can talk about what you're building at Cloak, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Yeah, sure. So my name's Arjun. I'm our CEO. I've been in technology coming around 16 years. I'm not that old. I've actually just been in industry since I was 10. <laughs> um, but I've been from all the way from an engineer all to CTO and everything in between, leading tech teams, leading product teams, also even operations, generally trying to get my hands into whatever I can. So I really enjoy building things. And I've also been part of startups. This is my third startup. Had a successful exit from my first, had a failure of my second, in between became a VC. So I've seen a gambit of different roles across the board and either working from startups to enterprises. Any notable startups that you've invested in that we may have heard of? Oh, no. I became a VC right before Cloaked, a couple of years. They're all either early stage or defunct. We made a pre-seed VC fund in Boston. So really, because Boston's a really difficult VC scene where they don't invest easily in early stage companies. And so we were trying to get into the pre-seed. So we've got a couple of startups in the seed stage. Some are looking to go from C to series, series A, but a bit too early for others to know about. Makes sense. All right. We'll check back in three years and see where they stand. Oh, I'm excited to see where some of them go. We've got a couple of other exciting investments coming down the road, but Cloak is my full-time thing right now, so I'm not active that much anymore. Makes sense. Well, that's a perfect segue. Let's talk about Cloak. In simple terms, what do you guys do? Cloak is a consumer privacy company putting in control of your data. And we're doing it really easily by creating unlimited identities on the fly. Think of identities as emails, phone numbers, addresses, credit cards, whatever you need to protect yourself in that moment. Got it. And if a consumer wants to protect their privacy now or protect their data now, like what are the options? You know, what are they able to do currently? So right now, it's a really complicated answer to that question because the word privacy and even security, they're all conflated terms. But realistically, you turn to a myriad of startups or companies. Uh, you think of privacy companies, the ones people know about DuckDuckGo, think of Brave, you think of smaller ones, say mine, think of MySudo, and then pop, things popping up like Neva. A lot of these companies, all uh, VPNs that all pop up, the issue is that they all give us a hammer and wish us good luck. They all do different things and you have to figure out how to use them. How do I protect myself when I'm browsing? How do I hide myself? How do I delete my information? How do I think about switching browsers entirely to stop tracking? There's a lot of different tools that you can do today. But the problem is that what we've learned hilariously at Cloak is that you can spend a hundred hours doing all this work or 10 minutes and you end up feeling exactly the same. There's, I don't know if I'm actually feeling good about anything. I've just done all these software, all these tools, and I don't know where I'm at. Makes sense. And what are some of those practical steps that you recommend for a consumer to take if they want to start taking you know, data privacy seriously? Well, today to take it seriously, there's really things you can do. It's all the tools I mentioned previously. They're useful. They do good work. It's just a lot of complexity to figure out what to do. Practically, mm-hmm. simply, I think about like, what is the browser of choice? We think about Google, great, a lot of good software, but you know that that data is aggregated everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. You think about Google Chrome, that's Google. Say there's a lot of data protection services they do for the their data, so the data is secure with them. 
but the data is still with them everywhere you go. So I recommend changing browsers. My browser of choice, for example, is Brave. Um, now, mm-hmm. Brave had some controversy in the past, but under the hood in terms of security, it removes a lot of the Google tracking aspects. There's still Safari, Firefox, which are bringing in similar principles, but he's a browser of choice. I think about being cautious of how you share your information. Now, one of the things that people don't talk about a lot today is that we're seeing the idea of third-party cookies and tracking changing the way it works. Instead of using the cookies or the tracking pixels, people track you in your emails and your phone numbers. And that's the biggest thesis why Cloak started to come to life. But it's this idea that be careful where you share the information. You don't need to setting up an app. Do you really want to? You don't need to if you don't feel like sharing the information because it'll come back to you. And I think generally in terms of hygiene, like even myself, I remember back in 2006, I was an early user of Facebook, came on. I said to my friends, hey, there's this cool website called Facebook. What happens maybe in the future? What if they actually have all this information about us and Facebook's all part of our lives? And they, they know everything about us. Like, you should be careful what you're putting in there. Fast forward 15 years. But back then I had a fake last name on Facebook. <laughs> and I was cautious. I was like, well, I want to be comfortable using technology. I want to use technology, but I'm careful of what information I'm putting out there. Even if there's nothing to hide, I have nothing to hide. And everybody who knows me, I'm a really public person in terms of like, there's nothing in my, in the skeletons, my closet, but I still don't think I need to put anything about my life really out there. And so it's not about trying to hide it. I'm still just a little deliberate that I don't think I need to put everything on the internet all the time. And that seems to be a pretty consistent mindset that I hear from people in general, right? If I have nothing to hide, then you know, why should I care? So what's your response to that? You're like, why should you care if you have nothing to hide? And that's a really interesting point. I think that's a really fun question to really think about. The idea of having nothing to hide, it's a very valid argument that people bring up. But realistically, mm-hmm. it's a hypocritical statement. You do hide. You don't share information between interactions between certain people. When I'm talking mm-hmm. to people in real life or even online, I don't share everything about myself. I don't tell everyone that when I was seven, I was afraid of dogs and jumped into a lake to avoid a dog. Like there's things, information I don't, I choose not to share. When I work as part of a business and I talk between businesses, there's very strict rules in terms of what we share with each other, who sees what, what's the exchange look like. But when I interact online, it's a one-sided conversation. A business takes everything about me. And so we're like, oh, why should I care? Well, these types of things, like what the business knows about you, what they're tracking into you, what they're sharing with other people, this comes back to haunt you in terms of if you get really practical or really mm-hmm. mental and emotional, you can go both spectrums. In actual practical terms, you'd say, you know your Uber prices when you book an Uber? If you have your friend standing next to you, his Uber will be a different price than what you pay. Why? Because of data aggregation, what's happening, what they're targeting, what they know about you, your behavior, your Uber is $6 more. That's like very practical the way it affects you day to day in terms of purchasing, what you see online, how you're being presented information. It's changing the way you perceive, act, and decide and choose based on the data that they think they know about you. Now, that affects your day to day actions, how you behave, how you work. And do you want that? And that gets into practical. It's like, isn't it my choice mm-hmm. how I work with the world? And you get that to the emotional side. Well, I don't feel comfortable. Even I always think about data breaches. It's like, oh, is it about have I been pwned and my data everywhere? Well, I always tell my team, even I quote, that it's not about, and this is what we get excited about, it's not about the breaches. Because even if no company had any breach, 
the amount of information that everybody knows egregious. If I imagine mm-hmm. my identity as a lock, every single company has a key. And all we've learned with breaches is that a lot of these smaller companies get compromised, which can actually compromise the bigger businesses. And it's because you have given everybody the keys to your personal identity, your information, everything about you. So I'd say the answer to the question is that the information you're putting out there is used to manipulate you and change the way you make decisions. And emotionally, it's not comfortable having everybody, including businesses, to know everything about you because it's your information. Why should they have all that information about you? You should choose what people know about you. Makes sense. And you seem super passionate about this topic. And you know, it seems like you know, your comment there about thinking about this in the early days of Facebook, I think long before you know, these big public breaches and hacks were even a thing. Like, What is it about privacy that really made this such a big passion and focus for you? I've always been curious about privacy and interested in it. I practice it, but I've never been a privacy aficionado, which is actually mm-hmm. always a funny thing about leading cloaked is that I don't have Graphene OS on my phone. I have a Facebook account. I don't use it, but I have like as much, but I have these things. But I'm very careful the way I conduct myself. But in terms of how this all started and being excited about privacy, Cloaked and my passion really got ignited back in early 2020 because I was really curious about my own data. How mm-hmm. could my data help me make my life better? Yeah, all these companies know of all this information about me. How does data help me in my life? So I was going through a tough time and I was thinking about, I want to help myself. I just had to get a Mac mini and put it in my apartment. And I said, I'm going to write an integration to everything about me. I decided to uh, connect my Facebook account, my Google Calendar, my basic data. I actually got more complex. I hacked iMessage. I took all my health information, my Apple Geo information, all of my financial banking information, my eating data, my workout data, everything about me, I put in this box. And I have a background in machine learning, so I wrote some basic ML to help me. And in my box started telling me, hey, you missed your workout yesterday. Do 15 push-ups between these two meetings. Based on my spending habits, it'd say, hey, maybe let's cut back on the alcohol spending this week. But it hit me in the face one day when I was actually at lunch with somebody and I put my phone down. At the end of lunch, I picked up my phone and I was staring at it because I saw my really crude AI had a full conversation with my then-girlfriend. It said, I love you, sent her memes, and I went back and forth. And the conversation was over by the time I picked up my phone. Um, <laughs> It was insane to look at. I was looking at I remember just staring at it, like, what just happened? And I realized in that moment, two big things. One, I don't own any of my own information. All of this relates to me, and I don't own any of it. And then two, I don't trust Facebook, Amazon, or Google, or any of these companies, um, the big five, to make something like this. Because on that earlier question, why do I care about privacy? Well, mm-hmm. I, I don't trust these companies to have all this data. So I don't know how they're going to use it against me. How is it going to manipulate the way I do things every day? And I'm somebody who loves technology. Like I love every aspect and building, creating, launching companies, all these things. And I said, if I don't feel comfortable doing this, by having these companies know this much about me to help me, then I don't think, then we have a real problem. And so I said, I want to fix the privacy problem. And so that's where I got really excited. I've had experience. I've worked at big companies and I've known how GDPR and all these regulations are more of a hindrance and mm-hmm. some set of checkboxes than an actual big privacy win for individuals. So I said that I know big companies always find ways around these things. I want to work 
with customers and do see if customers care. And along the journey of Cloaked, I found out if, when you make it easy enough, everybody really cares about this, but there's nothing they feel they can do. And so I said, I want to make that an answer that, oh, yes, it's easy and I can make it part of my life without doing any work. Amazing. And I don't know if you have an opinion here, and you just mentioned GDPR there. Do you think GDPR actually did anything? Because I don't know about you, but like whenever I'm in Europe and I you know, go online, you know, I just notice that, yes, every website does have this pop-up that I have to click through. But I don't know if I feel any more secure there. I wonder if, in general, people feel you know, any safer there. What are your thoughts on like the impact of GDPR from a data privacy perspective? To answer that question, I think GDPR reflects the sentiment that Europe is trying to code or codify. And what have you learned in Europe? There's a lot of good sentiment that people want privacy. They want to have a sense of, I have control, I have some privacy in, in everything I do. I know Germany is even really intense where if you're a spam caller, you can go to jail. Like it's like spam calling is illegal to a degree that we're practically enforced. But I think GDPR is a reflection of the strong positive sentiment. But I think in traditional political action, it, it falls short and trying to actually make big change. And it's not necessarily fault of Europe or even the GDPR itself. It's because a lot of these regulations, a lot of these things are trying to curb big businesses and businesses that are built on predatory practices of data collection and taking all this data to do, make their decisions what they want to do. And because that's the case, and that's how the world and the economies work, it can't do a lot to help businesses. So I think GDPR is a step in the right direction but really, the solution from with can't fully come from governments because governments often bend to the economic will. And in capitalism, they bend to capitalism. And all these big companies really have strong influences in the way we moderate and control regulation in terms, especially how they their businesses and their main source of money happens. So the GDPR is a step in the right direction. But I think to really make it practical, somebody has to make it come from the people, come from customers and the way it works as opposed to waving a big finger at companies and they just say, I'm sorry. I remember uh, Facebook just paid a fine in Australia rather than having to deal with the regulation. Because it's much cheaper just to pay fine than having to deal work with regulation. Makes sense. And let's zoom out a little bit here and just talk about you know the privacy problem in general. For the average American consumer, can you walk us through like the dark path of like just how bad it really is? Yeah, so it's really trending. It's the last since 2018, we've seen a huge spike where people realize there's a problem. It, this number is only increasing, but in 79% of America is upset to outright angry that data is collected, sold, and misused. Pew did a whole study and found was like, this is a problem. And uh, people care about it, but they feel that they find it's creepy and pervasive. There's nothing they can do about it. And so I think about privacy from the perspective is that like, well, how big of a problem? What can we do? In terms of privacy, there's what does the future look like? What can it mean for us? It can all mean that something has to change. The problem is big. It exists today. We think about the topics. Roe v. Wade's a big thing without data privacy and how this actually works. Businesses, in terms of how data sharing, data consent, how does exist, it's all coming up to conversations now. There's a big problem that is coming up, but we don't have a solution because it has to come from customer change or customer-led. And I think from the customer perspective, where we're headed and what needs to happen is that we are headed in a direction that in order to make applications and businesses more useful, they need access to more data. Customers like personalization. They want these things, but they want to have a sense of control. We see actually a reduction in app usage, in business uses, where when they ask for more information, 
because customers actually just reduce their usage, which only hurts businesses when they want more and more data. So the path we're headed, and I think this is inevitable, is that just like back in uh, 2010, Amazon said, you don't need to host your servers anymore. AWS is the future. People are like, wait, no, my business is predicated on having my servers in my office. We host the servers. If you ask any engineer today or any company today, where are your servers? Everyone says Amazon because they said, of course, no duh. And I think the future is going to be marked between what consumers want, what businesses want, what the industry and overall economy looks for is that we say data should be owned by the consumer and they should be involved in how personalization and how data exchange and interaction should work. And I think in the future of 2030, when to say, oh, someone asks, oh, where's your data stored? Well, I'd say people would say, oh, yeah, stored with my cloak or stored with cloaks. Like, oh, you, you store your own user data? That's insane. Why would you do that? The same <laughs> way we react to when somebody has their own server. So uh, long way to answer, I think really thinking about that's where the future is going and topic and conversation wise, everybody's bringing it up now. There's just no practical solution that makes sense besides waving a big finger. Makes sense. And I feel like that is the trade-off, right? Because I personally, like when I see these conversations, I like that companies have my data and the ads that I'm served are relevant and interesting to like what I've searched for, you know, what I care about. I think I would prefer that than you know, getting random ads. But I guess that's the trade-off that you know, you're saying people have to currently make, right? Between yep. personalization and privacy. Exactly. And I think that's the issue is that people have to make a trade-off. The future is going to be made where I get and a lot of privacy security companies don't say this today, but I think this is what we're cloaked. We say is that you can have personalization. We should change the way how that data exchange should work. How much should they know? What should they know? And how long they should know? Those should mm-hmm. be in your control. So you can have personalization. You search for blue sweaters. You can have it appear everywhere. But once you're done, or you can let that disappear. Or if you say, hey, app, I'm not going to give you information. I, I might tease and say, hey, I am interested in sweaters. How do I rethink that exchange and let that personalization happen? How do we rethink that is where I think the future is headed will ultimately actually lead to not just better ads, but better experiences. You are a VIP everywhere you go based on what you are comfortable sharing around these applications around technology. Got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess looking at maybe a bit of a darker question here, if we look at all these you know, hacks, all of these breaches, like when I go and look up, you know, if I've been pwned, I think I appear like nine times there, something crazy like that. Like, is it too late for me? Am I just a lost cause and there's nothing I can do from a privacy perspective? Or what are your thoughts there on you know, people who have already had their data exposed? What should they do? And you know, does it matter or is it just too late? That's a good question. I always say there's two answers. One, Yes, you have been, have I been pwned and your information's already out there. I laugh when I think about have I been pwned and like my story out there when I get these emails for breaches. I remember like staring at my email once from PPP Park or the Park mobile app for when you park your car on the street. Mm-hmm. And it sent me an email that said, Hey, we had a data breach. Don't worry. Your passwords were secure. They weren't <laughs> compromised. Only your name, email, address, date of birth, car license plate, uh, <laughs> geolocation. Only that was compromised. But don't worry, your password was safe. And <laughs> I look at that and I was like, you're laughing and that's exactly the point. It's like everybody says like, don't worry, like your password was safe or your credit card number was safe. You only lost, only everything about you is exposed. And so it creates like, okay, well, it's already out there everywhere. The, well, the interesting thing is how does the internet work? What we've learned, and I, I tested this and we've been running these tests is that 
the internet's a self-learning beast where they actually information is propagated, shared, and put everywhere. And you can test this in multiple ways. One, the services that delete your information everywhere. You can get your information deleted. And mm-hmm. those are hilariously monthly subscriptions. And you know why? Because you delete it and your information comes right back next month. And so you pay monthly subscriptions and keep deleting. And why does it keep coming back? Because it's a self-learning system. It sees your information from a different app, a different place, and then re-aggregates across data aggregation services. And then they propagate in multiple places and they show up again. And so what we say with Cloaked, I think deleting and cleaning up is absolutely something that should exist and should happen. But really, how do you tackle that self-learning system? So with Cloaked, we talk about you should not be sharing your personal information anywhere. So with Cloaked, right now we create phone numbers, emails. We got some exciting stuff coming up with cards, even addresses a little further down. Mm-hmm. But this is, these systems use emails and phones to track you wherever you go. And so with Cloaked, we actually create unique working phone numbers, unique working emails that actually go to your actual iMessage or go to your real Gmail without compromising your privacy. And you can reply or you can CC, do all the stuff in email, reply and call from iMessage without breaking any connection. And that's why we make it easy. But then the hard thing is that what we've managed to crack is that these systems, when you give them new information, they try to learn and keep the newer information because nobody wants stale information. Mm. So what we say at Cloaked is that as you cloak the future, you start cleaning up the past. And don't mm. worry, in our in our roadmap, we're also going to clean up the past too. So that's that's coming down the road. But even cloaking the present starts to clean up the past. And that's what but, we've recognized. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we've been big for cloaked. We've seen that live, right? I haven't mm-hmm. given my actual phone number since the day I started cloaked. I stopped giving it anywhere. And all of my information is routed. I find like even spam callers, things that picked up might pick up a cloaked number. I, I Cloaked didn't exist the first few months. Um, first six months, we had to build out Cloaked. And so I use a Google Voice number everywhere. I found now all of my information is being stolen, is like aggregated on my Google Voice or my Cloaked numbers. But my actual number has seen a big reduction. That makes sense. And that's super interesting. Because I think that's, especially when you're looking at like stale data, that's the entire value prop of a lot of those platforms, right? Like I think Hunter.io is one for you know, yes. email addresses, places like that. Their whole thing is, you know, 99% accuracy and, and promises like that. So that makes perfect sense. If you can kind of disrupt that system with essentially incorrect or fake data, then that does clear it over time. Exactly. And the big thing is, though, that fake data point you say, which is why we talked about cloaked, is that we're trying to avoid fake data. We make authentic phone numbers, authentic emails that all work. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that it's a unique email phone number just for Walmart, unique email phone number just for Amazon. A unique phone number for the cute guy at the bar, a uh, unique email for and phone number for every realtor you're talking to when you're apartment hunting. Uh, when you're standing in front of a CVS, give them a phone number just for that rewards program. Give a unique identity everywhere you go. And this is what cybersecurity experts always talk about, is that security is great, securing all the systems, but the root of the problem is the identity. And you want, you want to solve the identity problem first, and that's what we're all about. Give a unique identity everywhere you go. That makes sense. So I think I have yeah, an interesting use case that you probably see a lot, but just an you know, example to talk through for the listeners. So a while ago, I you know, moved across the country and you, part of that, I had to have my car shipped. And I went to this website, like shipley.com or something like that, you know, where you're like, you put it in and you get a quote from a bunch of different vendors. And yes. I put in my cell phone number, which turned out to be a mistake because <laughs> to this day, I'm getting contacted by people to move my car, which was moved, you know, long ago. 
And there's no master list that I can unsubscribe to. I just have to keep saying, no, please take me off. And you know, I get probably three or four of these a week, which is just insane. But I think that's probably a perfect example, right? That's exactly the perfect example. And that's what we think about for cloaks. It's not about the, I want to go make fake information. It's about real life situations where my information, I need to share information. I'm operating, I'm a person, I'm doing things. Exactly. We've seen that exact type of use case at Cloak. Somebody has put in a Cloak number when they're purchasing or doing that type of exchange. And then when they're done, they hit the big mute button, off button, it's done. Or if they're completely done, they delete the Cloak and it's gone forever. Got it. Oh, that's so cool. That makes a lot of sense. I think it also probably ties into some of those crypto hack cases that we were seeing before too, right? Where they were doing those SIM swaps. I don't know if you were following oh, yes. that at all, yep. but they were, you know, just getting in directly. To, they would find the person's phone number, which unfortunately seems to be pretty easy, and then just hacking their way through. In this case, that wouldn't be possible, right? Because the cloaked number would just be what is the cloaked number? I guess is the question. Like, what is that considered? It's considered a real working phone number in the eyes of everyone. I can cloak you right now. We're on the podcast, but, but otherwise, I'd show you. I give you a cloaked number, and you can save it in your contacts app, and that's your number for me. And it's a real working number. You can call it, text it, everything. And I can do the same thing. But you don't have my number. I don't have your real number. And we both must are still cloaked and still communicating like normal. Got it. So cool. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, let's move on now to... I think you touched on this a little bit, but I'd love to go back a bit here to market categories. So as you're building out cloaked, how are you thinking about the market category that you're going to fall into in the next couple of years, let's say? Yeah, it's a good question in terms of market category. And it's something I think about if we were listening and sort of how you differentiate yourself, where are you standing upon? So for Cloaked, I took a hard look when we first started even Cloaked. It's like, what do I want to be? Before we even jump into B2C, it's like, do I want to secure people's databases? Do I want to go reinvent how data is shared all together right now? And I realized, like, what do people want? So with Cloaked, I realized that what people want are really two things. And you touched on this earlier. One, I like this idea, and people people like this idea of feeling known, but not surveilled. They mm-hmm. like customization. They like personalization, but they don't want to feel compromised. So think about cloak market differentiation. What we talk about is that it's those things that people want. So what is going wrong with the industry? So what I realized is people conflate the idea of security and privacy. Those are mixed words. And you can mm-hmm. see CISOs, CTOs, and big level people mix the two together. And I said, well, what's wrong? And so that's what I think of those two things. And I so I realized it's actually three layers. The outermost layer I think about is security, this idea of encryption, fraud, fingerprinting. What is my vector of attack on my outermost shell? I think about the second layer. What is privacy? Privacy means where does my data live? What does it look like? Who has access to it? All the information around tied to that data. But there's a third layer that no one talks about. And this layer that we're focused on cloaked and what we really think about is layer we call comfort. And it's the cognitive point in which everybody understands the problem. And this is where our V1, where we're starting. And so it's that moment when you are asked for your name, email, phone number, credit card, address, just like Shipley asked for it. It's that moment where your brain says, I'm about to compromise myself, but I have no choice. So where we think about for cloaked and where we differentiate market is worth we we are a privacy company because that's what everybody understands, but really at its core, we're a comfort company. You're comfortable mm. the way you interact and work with the world. You're comfortable with technology, people. We've had people use cloaked as part of dating. Like you're comfortable in everything you're doing in that exchange. And so what we do in every moment when you're browsing online, 
when you're talking to a person, we create that unique working piece of information on the fly via our browser extension, our mobile app, or in our dashboard. And that's where we think about it's a differentiation. It's like, it's all about the comfort. And we've literally seen it live from customer feedback. They say, Arjun, I, um, I was in an exchange and I literally was thinking of the word cloaked. And so we think about, we bought that mind share from people because they, they realize that, oh, this is the moment. This is that moment. I should be cloaking. <laughs> I shouldn't be doing what I normally do. And people actually like, there's a sense of elation, like, oh, I can cloak this. And I'm not having to go say, oh, hey, go, can you go download Signal so I can talk to you over Signal? Like, that's where we think about it's where we're not trying to force changing of apps, which is where a lot of privacy heads down that road, where go download our app and convince everyone else to go use that app. And it's not about, hey, let's go buy insurance in the form of security software or literal insurance, like identity mm-hmm. theft insurance. Those are all great. But then you're really like, you're not adding comfort. You're like, okay, I hope I'm protected. This is like taking privacy in your own hands. It's in my day-to-day life. It's in how I interact and work day-to-day. So that's where market differentiation, it's a comfort level. It's an emotional feeling we're trying to tap into. Not so much a lot of the VPN and practical security, which we're going to do all part of Cloak as we grow, but not immediately because we want to make it where you feel it the most. Got it. Super interesting. And now let's talk about funding here. I think it was $25 million that you recently raised and from Crunchbase, it says $29 million in total. Is that accurate? That's accurate, yeah. And some odd change. But exactly, we raised $29 million funding. And we're really excited about the investors we've got on board. We've got people, a lot of the big name investors, but we've been very picky and choosy with people who really believe in where we're headed with Cloak. Because you know, the wrong investors, we would be saying, hey, let's go pivot to some quick B2B cash grab and protecting businesses or meeting compliance needs. Everyone's really excited about the vision and where we want to go with Cloaked and really want to put their money where their mouth is and support us, not just with financially, but support, resources, guidance, recommend introductions, which has been awesome. And was that a hard decision to make on your end at the start to go down the consumer path instead of B2B? Because it just feels like consumer is, you know, it's a long road. You have to get a lot of users to you know, generate a substantial amount of revenue, I guess would be my view. But was that a debate that you had to you know, deal with internally when you were making that decision? Yeah. So I thought about the idea of Cloak after that, that exchange on my phone. I thought, I said, oh, I, I just want to solve the privacy problem. And I thought about B2B and I was like, oh, what if I could like improve business infrastructure? And the thing is, I was just very unhappy about it because one, I don't think I'm actually going to practically solve the problem because it's a slow burn convincing businesses one at a time and fixing them one at a time and changing how they work. And even if I change a good number or a small number, I can't practically change anything. And I always really, for me personally, it matters to me when I to actually take on problems that are meaningful and that make mm-hmm. a big impact. And I realized at B2B, yes, I could do it. I could make some good money. But obviously, we're all, everyone's in it for money. But really, my thought, I want to make a big impact. And obviously, there's more money when you have a bigger impact. And I, I hit me when I was running one day. Wait, I remember running. I, like, I wish you could just do consumer. I know it's a lot slower and a little harder, but I wish I could do that because I could practically and meaningfully make a big impact. And then it hit me how to start Cloak, which is this idea of the phone, email, et cetera, if I went consumer out. But I know consumer leads to much bigger impact that can practically change the world. B2B, you can make a good amount of money and then sell your business and move on to the next thing. I'm cloaked all the way. This is where I think I'm going to change the world and make a big difference. Amazing. 
Well, let's wrap up with a question about that then. So what's the future of this company going to look like? You know, What will be that impact that you hope to have over the next, say, 10 years? I really think it's what I began with around data ownership is one dimension. 10 years, I want to make that future I said earlier possible, mm-hmm. where businesses say, oh, I wouldn't store my data. That's insane. I have still access to a lot of information and I get to work practically with customers by putting data in their hands. I get access to health information, financial information, their geographic location, but maybe it's not exact. Maybe my health information to a fitness app tells them I'm, I'm an early riser. Maybe a food app might know that my budget is $250, but they don't have access to my bank account. I think about my location. They know that right now in Massachusetts, maybe they may not know that I'm actually in uh, North Andover right now. These types of things, it's all part of the future that a lot of people have hoped for, differential privacy where you're in control of what people know, but they still have practical access to data, maybe even more data, but you're comfortable with what you're sharing. I want to really create in 10 years a data consent protocol where businesses get access to data that mm-hmm. is based on people's comfort. They choose what that data actually looks like and how long they still have access to that information. And at any point, they can terminate it, just like consent. But if we do that, I think we could practically make my future of an AI practically possible where it has access to data, but brokered Mm -hmm. by consumer trust and consumer control. And that's where we want to go over the 10 years. There's a lot of work to make that happen. And that's where I want to head towards and not even do right now, because I know Mm -hmm. that's a lot of tech we can build, but nobody will understand it. We want to start where people understand the problem and take steps to get to that future. Amazing. Well, that's certainly incredibly exciting. And I you know, think we are going to have to wrap. We're up on time here. But if people want to follow along with your journey, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, so Cloak is uh, gearing close to where our general launch, but we've been having a very active um, semi-private public beta. Come check us out on Cloak.app. If you want to skip the waitlist, go to Cloak.app slash Frontlines, and we'll get you off the waitlist right away and get you access to Cloak. That's, you can check it out, and it will be on the Chrome Store, for browser extension, and iOS Android for mobile app. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Really enjoyed this conversation and look forward to seeing you execute on this vision. I appreciate it. Uh, glad I got to be here. All right. Take care and good luck. Thank you so much. 